Hey, so welcome back to the Cairo London Podcast. It's Craig McLean here, your host, and I have the great pleasure of having a chat with Martin Harvey today, who is getting quite the reputation of being the international go-to chiropractor for communication to help us all engage better with our patients. And that's exactly what I want this standalone episode to be about, is investigating and exploring better ways that we can engage and communicate with our people so we can maybe hang on to them or serve them for a little bit longer. And I start the whole conversation with, is it even ethical for us to be wanting to retain or twist people's arms, if that's what we want to do, to stay longer under chiropractic care? Uh, and so we tackle that question straight on at the very well early phases of this pod and then we just get into some really nice um, right stuff you can use straight away in your practice whereby right from that very first visit when you meet someone for the first time all the way through your consultation your exam that second visit and day-to-day visits things you can do to help people on their journey towards better health Uh, acknowledging that some people are really only interested in pain relief and that's totally cool um, for them and for you Uh, and but also just sort of uh, helping people bridge or sort of join up the dots with regards to how maybe a life uh, preventing things from going wrong or optimally functioning um, bodies and health is a better way forward so have a listen to this so a good one for the chiropractors uh, just to be able to get your teeth stuck into a better way to uh, build and communicate to your tribe thanks everyone over to our chat all right martin harvey welcome to the Cairo london podcast let's get straight into it thank you so much for spending some time with us today absolute pleasure and thanks for the invite i'm really looking forward to it now, let's just set the scene a little bit here. I am in London, England, and it's two degrees outside, and yesterday there were some snow showers floating around. Got it. Where are you? Uh, Melbourne, Australia. It's currently just after 8 p.m., and it was it got to 31, I think, today, and I think at the moment it's probably a balmy 27 degrees. So if it is any consolation, I am upstairs in my house and there's not air conditioning up here, so it's probably mid-30s here. So, yes, it's it's warm. It's nice. I tell you what, my heart bleeds for you, you know. Uh, I'm here in my uh, sort of thermal shirt and uh, a thick jumper sipping a nice oat flat white, um, courtesy of the Grind Coffee Society (coughs) pod sponsor. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I was impressed when when you were on my podcast, and we uh, your proximity to high level co- coffee is uh, truly admirable. It's it. dangerous, to be honest. Um, yeah, but look for those that don't know you, and um, I wouldn't mind you telling me anyway, because I need a refresher as to how is it that you've come about to be a internationally recognised chiropractic educator or communicator. Okay. I guess sort of short version of it was I was one of those people who got into chiropractic perhaps with a a narrow version of what I thought it was. So I'd seen a chiropractor a bit as a kid. We'd generally gone not on a super regular basis but sort of had this vision of it as a thing that you could do that was just generally good for you. Went along to chiropractic college and um, 
was sort of surprised with how much application there was in different regards. But I guess I was one of those people who partway through my education, the philosophy kicked in or clicked in for me as being, oh, wow, this is so big. There are so many people who could benefit if they had chiropractic care. It's a view of the world. It's a view of health. It's a view of how enhancing your health impacts everything that you do. This is transformative. And I came through in an era where sort of the mantra at the time was if you tell the story, then that's what people need to hear to then connect with that and all these ideas of people knew what we knew, they do what we do, and we just needed to keep this message pure and sort of uh, ram it down people's throats and tell the chiropractic story. And so I dutifully did that and realised that isn't how communication works well, particularly if you are um, wanting to engage with people who have a different belief system. And the challenge for us as chiropractors is the majority of the world doesn't see health in the way that we see health. Um, So I had a couple of years of being what I call a chiropractic asshole, which was I was essentially on this mission, I guess, to ram chiropractic down your throat in the terms that I thought were important without having really any relevance or reference to what you thought was important. And really just through a bit of luck, I came across uh, a book by Cialdini called Influence, and he's the godfather of the influence literature, and it sort of set me off on a journey to sort of say, well, if there are these other people in the world who are more successfully and I think more, uh, I guess, sort of with more regard and respect for other people's sovereignty and making decisions for themselves, crafting a message and developing skills to be able to deliver that message to have a bigger impact in the world. And that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. So, and I guess, you know, fast forward to today, I still feel like a lot of what is bought as chiropractic practice management comes from that era of we've got to start from what people, what they need to understand is XYZ. And yeah, so I guess I dove deep into these ideas of uh, how we might better communicate chiropractic. And then I spent the last, I guess, 25, 26 years reading that literature and then applying it in practice. I'm still in practice. I um, So I still experiment with these ideas the whole time. And then as people saw that my practice was growing, but it was in a really gentle engagement sort of based way where I was meeting people and understanding what they were looking for, what was important to them, and then working out ways of presenting chiropractic in a way that made kind of sense to what the, where they were starting but could, could lead them on from there to a bigger picture of their health. That's something that I think a lot of people really naturally engage with. It's a, it's a yeah. way of yeah, just making chiropractic relevant to people. And and for those that are wondering what this episode's about, is that's exactly what I want to lean right into is that idea of uh, engaging better with your people that come through the yeah. front door um, for yeah. chiropractors. Um, and, you know, our listeners here are a mix of the chiropractic profession and I've had a few episodes where we have just some really interesting stories with, with patients who have an interesting story to share. Awesome. And so we, we've got a real mix of audience here, but look, I, I you know, there's going to be some patients who are listening into this as well. And that's, that's fine right. by me. And it's, it's, um, 
it's it's a situation where I want this episode to be almost like a bit of a one-stop shop for exploring the ideas as to how you can better engage with your people, with your tribe, with uh, the patients that come through the door. And, um, you know, we've set up later in the year, you're traveling over to London later in the year, and hopefully we're going to get you for a a half-day Cairo London workshop uh, about communication and engagement and retention. Um, So very much looking forward to this. And so this is also like a little precursor to that too. You know, I'd I'd like to sort of start off with some ideas and then follow it up a bit later on. So hopefully, well, I'm going to make all of our team listen to this and I'll be asking them questions (laughs) about it. Um, We'll set a quiz at the end. We'll set a quiz. Um, But look, uh, I think actually that's the other thing about my team. You know, when we last spoke, I... Didn't know about, uh, you mentioned often Daniel Pink's book, Drive, right? Yep. Um, yes. And I think you were asking me about a little bit about my team, right? And I yep. came up with um, <clears throat> kind of the three things that yep. Daniel Pink talks yeah. about in terms of yep. drive yep. as to what I focus on with my team, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. And I was talking about autonomy, mastery yep. and purpose i didn't use those yep. exact words i'm pretty sure i did say autonomy or certainly um that's what we like yeah. them to have so that was really cool I, I really enjoyed that reflection on that in the fact that oh so i'm not just making it up um that you know we've kind of like found my own way to that sort of idea of how we can get our workforce better engaged and yep. that was really interesting you know um yeah so. yeah and i think it's it's a really powerful idea and i think the, the thing that i I loved about what you were talking about was that you had just through what kind of works and what feels right and what from that very humanistic perspective of, look, if I was in practice, this is what I would like, you've created something that then Daniel Pink independently has collated a whole lot of research that says, yeah, you're doing the right stuff. So there is that, that, and I think communication, there is a real parallel there where there's a lot of people when, when I talk to groups I'm not always presenting concepts that are, even though I feel like what I present is quite different to a strong direction in chiropractic practice management that I've sort of sketched out a little bit, that uh, almost paternalistic, I'm going to set what the agenda is and I'm going to tell you what's important and tell you it's important that you know about innate intelligence and subluxation and nerve interference and vitalism and all these things, which... I think that can be interesting to people, but I would contend that starting a conversation with that isn't the most important thing. I think um, when I talk to groups, there's often people who have just through their own experience kind of taken on strategy, worked out strategies that I'll give a name to that they might already be doing. Yeah, And I think there is in the same way as you uh, empirically worked out a way of structuring the culture in your practice uh, or practices. I think from a communication perspective, I'm going to present some ideas today that a lot of people will go, I already do that. And that's fabulous. Most people are, we're we're naturally social creatures. And so we pick up feedback and work out, oh, that I can see that isn't resonating with that person. Let me try it a different way. And so that 
that's an experience that a lot of people have. One thing that I actually think would be an important framing if we're going to talk about engagement and building relationships and those sort of things is I also think that there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could choose to practice chiropractic and that be completely okay. So the examples that I'm going to give are probably going to be influenced by the way that I choose to practice, which is I believe that you know, a lot of people, the culture in my practice is one where people are typically coming in referred by other people who get value from having ongoing care. And so they're, they're coming in with that. That's what the culture of our practice is about. And there are lots of other chiropractors who say, oh, look, I don't want a practice that has this ongoing care. I want to sort of empower people to take care of themselves through exercise and yeah. nutrition and stress management and those sort of things. And I don't think one's right or wrong. Like I think as a profession, sometimes we look for opportunities to be angry with each other that don't really need to be there. To me, it's a little bit like, you know, say the psychology profession, there are psychologists who treat conditions. They treat people who have depression and anxiety and are suicidal and it's very urgent care model. And I think that's a really important service. And there's this whole field of uh, positive psychology where Martin Seligman and others are looking at, well, what does it actually take to flourish in life applying these principles? And they use different outcome measures and they use different ways of engaging with their clients or patients, but they're both applying psychology principles. And I think chiropractic is very similar to that in that it's okay to, to to have a different model to the way that I practice, I'm probably going to use, because mine's based on my experience, models that are based on the ideas that I'll sort of go into as we talk. But I also think like if somebody's listening to this and they're coming more from a, I see people for a period of time and then I try and enable them to take care of themselves as much as possible, um, then the same ideas, these are basic ideas on, the way the human brain best processes information. So it doesn't really matter what you're trying to influence people to have a better perspective of. Well, I think that's sort of where I definitely wanted to just step back and, and look at that and sort of tackle that issue face on is that question of, you know, some people obviously have a practice model, which is the actual question is, is it ethical for us to even be trying to retain our patients beyond a certain point? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because that's the that's the feedback you get from certain corners of the profession whereby it's like, well, hang on, you're just trying to rip people off or you're just trying to sort of, uh, um, you know, prolong a relationship that isn't needed. You know, anything yeah. that you do, uh, you know, in your practice should be able to t- be taught to your patient to be able to retrain them into a better way of moving, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I think so, you've kind of already it, answered that to a degree well, anyway. Yes, right? it, well, I have and I haven't. I guess I would say that I've said that it's okay for people to practice differently to me. I don't feel like I've necessarily given the the argument and I don't want to get into like there's this level of evidence for this and this and this but I, I sort of look at it and there's a couple of things that I think that that argument misses first one is if you look at the models of um, evidence-based practice we essentially need to be considering three things we need to be considering best available evidence your clinical experience and the client or patient's goals expectations and values and my experience is that there's a huge number of people that come to me wanting a, a, an approach of care which isn't just 
come and see me when you're in pain. That isn't just dependent. Most of them are people who already have very developed movement practices, whether it's CrossFit or yoga or uh, all these other self-care strategies. They're looking more at, and what else can I do that, and in, in the same way as many of those people might see a psychologist, not because they don't have personal resilience, but they're actually just looking to squeeze the juice out of life. They want more than just okay. Mm. And then from, I guess, if we look at it from a biomechanical perspective, if you look at what can movement create in terms of a spine, I think there's, there's within our practice, we do talk to people about the value of movement and we do talk to people about specific exercise strategies that are, might be helpful for them. And my experience is, and I would say there's research that suggests it's possible, probable, and highly likely that people develop subluxation or restricted joint motion, whatever else, that's likely to have consequences for them if left uncorrected, and there's benefit in having it periodically corrected, and that you can't, because if I say to you, Craig, just move T4 without moving T3 or T5, we're just not wired like that. So I think, yes, there's value in in helping people do things to help minimise their their unnecessary development of issues. But most people that I take care of live in stressful, demanding environments and chiropractic can be a tremendously helpful way of helping them function at their best. Yeah, it's like the icing on the cake, isn't it? You know, it's like that yeah. thing of... of um, you know, we if if we were living in a relatively stress-free environment without exposure to all sorts of chemical, emotional stresses, then um, maybe the need for a chiro regularly would be less uh, less. Yep. You know, uh, but the reality is, especially in a city, high-paced city like London, um, yep. a lot of people do make that conscious decision, that choice to actually just involve it. Uh, as part of their overall well-being regime, you know, and um, I think uh, in the UK, and it's probably something that we we could tap into a little bit as well, is that I think because the UK has the NHS, which is the um, all-powerful system of healthcare that actually supports everyone from the ground up, it also means that um, a lot of people just don't take the responsibility yeah. for their own health in the same way that the Aussies do. You know, yeah. um, uh, no one even thinks twice about the fact that, oh, well, I can just pop down to the GP anytime I want and it doesn't cost me anything, you know, um, yeah. and there's kind of then no value in that to them. And, you know, there's a super high uh, cancellation rate for GP appointments and all this sort of stuff, you know. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, especially around, you know, post-COVID stuff, they kind of really tried to clamp down on that because they were so hard to get anyway, you know. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we 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 diverge slightly from the topic at hand, but so, um, yeah. One thing that I think might be actually useful if we before we move away from that ethics part, the other thing that I would say, say to sort of counter what I've not counter, but perhaps put a caveat around what I've said there is, I think the ethical thing that we have that allows us to meet what patients or clients' values and needs are is to offer them choices and to offer them not choices of this is what all the smart people would do and this is what dumb, limited people who don't have the right values do, but to actual, actually offer people just a simple 
easily digestible way of understanding what the spectrum of choice that they have is and why each of those things might be valuable for them. Mm. Um, and I guess the, one of the things that I, if people were wanting to have something really tangible from a skill perspective to go away with, I think one of the most important things to understand or the, the biggest impact skills is a, a concept called bridging, which is both a, a very ethical communication approach and an incredibly powerful one wherever, whatever chiropractic uh, model you choose to practice in. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk about bridging with you because I hear you're an expert at it. Um, and actually, just picking up on that, though, as well, the British Chiropractic Association uh, has really spent a lot of time rebranding recently. And their main focus or what they've actually come up with is that everything they do, they want to be patient-centered care, you know. Yep. And But, you know, I'm reading between the lines of them saying patient-centered care is about what's best for the patient. And they're assuming what's best for the patient is to come as fewer times as possible, um, <laughs> to spend as least money as possible to get the most effective results. You know what I mean? But, but therein lies what you just said previously. Uh, patient-centered care is actually asking them what they want. You know, um, yep. and if they actually what's want to, to, yeah, what's yeah. important to you? And it's like, well, I really want to be as healthy and optimally performing as I, I basically can. And it's like, well. You know, I'm sure half the people around here actually just end up not asking that question, just assuming they want to be in and out as quick as possible, and then uh, they yep. they kind of cease the relationship earlier than they should. You know. Um, yeah. Well, I think definitely there is that element to where we assume that that um, that we all have a natural bias to assume that other people see the world in the same way as we do, that people will value the same things, and you know, if we look at any other area of consumer value there's always a spectrum of how much people or the way people want to consume it if you look at food mm. there are people who are looking at i just want something i don't care how healthy it is i just want something that makes me feel a certain way immediately after i eat it i'm just i'm optimizing just for flavor and i don't care at all about health and then there's people at the opposite end of that who are super invested in the health part of it. And there's other people who are going to optimise for cost and other people are going to optimise for convenience. And I don't think any one of them is right or wrong. And I don't think deciding that the only uh, the, I'm only going to be serving food that is convenience, optimised for convenience is automatically customer-centric. It's just customer-centric for a particular type of customer. And so I think if we look at that at chiropractic care, I don't optimize for people who only want to see somebody once or twice when they're in extreme pain. Like it just my service doesn't work. They have to wait. If they want to see me, they'll have mm. to wait for a new client spot to come available. And then they'll need to go through a process. And it just it's not for them. Yeah. But look but as you say with the food, I love that food analogy, you know, where if you're eating chicken nuggets and coke, right, then that's almost the uh what what do you expect your body to be sort of performing like if you're if that's yeah. your daily routine, you know? And so it's not about performance, it's just about kind of getting by and having the energy you need to do stuff, right? Um yeah. whereas if you look after yourself and sort of at the other end of the spectrum of of caring for your for yourself nutritionally and energetically, then you're probably going to get better performance, you know. So it's a nice little parallel there between what chiropractors offer and i think we should draw the line under that idea by sort of just saying look yes there are different paradigms within um, healthcare and especially within chiropractic 
None of them are right or wrong. Um, you know, some people go on a journey where they start at one end of the of the spectrum and sort of journey through. And I think, especially yeah. as a new graduate, and we we have a, quite a few new graduates in our team, and um, a lot of these guys are, are on a journey of trying to work out what they can and can't do, and and how far they can kind of nurture relationships with people. And and this yep. is what I want to get into now. You know, is like yeah. let's just sort of look into certain things that we can do for. You know, and it's probably the natural thing to do. And you, you have on your podcast, um, uh, under the influence. That's what it's called, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, uh, some great episodes in the past, which actually go into this in a little bit more detail. But I thought we could just touch on a few of them, like um, you know, natural points whereby you uh, meet with your patients for the first time, that first visit, yep. that second visit, um, yep. the, uh, on the first visit, the exam you do, certain things you can actually do just to sort of help. I guess initially work out where the person is on their yeah. own personal health journey. And then, you know, once you work out where they are, what things you can do to sort of open their eyes to the possibilities of, of other things, you know? So where, where do you want to start with that? What I might do, if it's okay with you, is when we're talking, two things I think would are useful to frame this. So we're going to be talking a lot about retention. What is it to, that will help keep people engaged. Now, for people who an ongoing continuous relationship isn't what they're seeking, they're, they're saying, oh, I'm not sure that I want people having care. I'm going to empower them with their home care and then they might come and see me later down the line because something else has happened or they need some extra help. This, These same strategies apply because all we're really talking about is how do you maintain a relationship? How does somebody stay connected to you in whatever that service means? So I'm going to mainly be talking about it in the terms that I think most my service is built around, which is you're going to come and see me. I'm going to have a chat to you about what's going on. We're going to do some tests to see what's going on. And then I'm going to talk to you about what your options are moving forward. And the 80% of the people that I see on any given day are people who are coming in on an ongoing basis who have been with me for longer than six months and are choosing to come in for um, you know, what you might think of as performance sort of care in whatever that means. And we'll clarify what that means in a minute. But don't, they're examples. This applies just the idea if you want long-term relationships. Now, there are two basic things that mean that, that mean people will stay. So there's a bunch of reasons that people might leave your practice. They might move to a different area of, they might leave London or they might, uh, you know, die, or there's a bunch of different things. But if we look at the dynamic around why people stay, there's really two things you have to do. First one is that they need to feel a connection to you. So the reality is that we are social creatures. If we we make decisions based on emotion and uh, rationality or, or and by logic, but if the emotion comes first. So uh, one of the, the best books in um, in terms of the influence literature uh, is by a woman called Zoe Chance, and she talks about as we have a gator brain and a judge brain. Um, the guy who developed the idea is the Nobel laureate, um, oh, complete mental blank of his name. Anyway, uh, type one, type two thinking, uh, Daniel Kahneman. I knew it would come back. Um, but I like judge and gator because it tells you a lot about it, where we have part of our thinking, oh, this just doesn't feel right. I don't like the way that they treated me. That I didn't, they wouldn't maintain eye contact. There was all these things that just gave me an odd feel. And even if the logic is there, uh, 
the the gator brain is going to trump the judge brain, but we also need logic as well. Um, but the first piece of that, in terms of people coming over a long period of time, is that they need to feel like you care about them as an individual person. And so the antidote to so the the, the statistics are that about seventy percent of people leave any service because of perceived or real indifference. They feel like you no longer care about them. And chiropractic is very easy for that to happen because partly that uh, our practice management approaches place a lot of emphasis on new patients and the first visit and then there's a report and maybe there's a healthcare class that's very front-loaded. Um, and then we get busy and all these other things. So it's easy for people to have been coming in for six months or whatever to just feel like, oh, you know, it's not as special as you used to treat me. Um, so the antidote to that idea of uh, indifference is connection. So I'm going to talk through each of these different visits around what you can do to create connection. And the second bit is individualised value. So the challenge we have when we're communicating chiropractic is we think about chiropractic. We have the curse of knowledge, which is we've invested years in understanding this. And so we think about it in very abstract terms and we talk about it in very abstract terms. So we talk about things like subluxation and innate intelligence and nerve interference or even things like range of motion and internal rotation and external rotation and health potential. And they're all very abstract and if I can be really frank, nobody gives a flying fuck about any of them. They do not care. No. They don't. I mean, but they do care very, very deeply about the things that are important to them. Mm. And so, you know, from the, the discussions that we've had, I would know whether, you, you know, let's say you're not a chiropractor, I'd know that your family and cycling and skiing and work are a bunch of things that are really important to you. Now, I don't know hierarchically which one are the things that you have to do, which are the things you love to do, and which are the things you see as your role or identity to do. And mm -hmm. each of those things is an ascending model of how value, how important, how central, how emotionally resonant they are. Yeah. But you care deeply about them. And I'm so sure if you my, ask my wife, uh, she'll have a different opinion about <laughs> that to me. <laughs> She'll be like, you've definitely got skiing or cycling on the top of that over the family. But anyway, so we're, yes. we're yeah, sorry, I interrupted. So, no, no, that's good. That's perfect. But it, I guess the point there is if I'm going to communicate individual value, yes, chiropractic's relevant to you because if you want to be a better dad, having regular chiropractic care can help you be, be in better moods, have more energy at the end of the week, blah, 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 blah. Having regular chiropractic care can certainly help you avoid injury and potentially perform at a better level as a skier or a um, cyclist. And it can help you um, if you have a busy, demanding work environment where there's lots of things happening, you need to be able to think clearly and have uh, energy and uh, feel relaxed about it. Then I feel like chiropract regular chiropractic care can help with that as well. So but I need to be able to understand what's important to you and then find a way to communicate that in an effective way. So unpacking all that complexity I just laid in there, basically two things have to happen for you to stay seeing me for chiropractic care. You need to feel a sense of connection that is, you know, I see you as an individual person. You're not just a, a number coming through my practice. And secondly, I need to be communicating chiropractic in a way that's individual to you 
both in terms of that lifestyle value that we're talking about, but also in terms of your level of health awareness, which we haven't touched on yet, but I will loop back to in a minute. Is that fair enough as a structure? Yep, I love it. Um, and this is exactly why you're good at what you do is because you can really compartmentalize things really nicely and actually give a framework around things for people to digest this, you know. And, yeah. you know, I, I think um, as we go, I hope we do get to, and I'm sure this is part of the bridging thing too of, of you know, I, I think I find even after 25 years of practice, I still find it hard to actually drop into communication. Yep. Um, how long-term chiropractic care or getting adjustments is going to be really good for you as a dad, you know, because you have more yeah. energy to play with your kids and all this sort of thing. It's so easy just to kind of focus in on the here and now and the right SI yeah. joint that is a bit hot at the moment, you know. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty yeah. sure that's across the board where most practitioners have a similar sort of a thing where you mm. you often just bring it down to the lowest common denominator because that's kind of the habit you've gotten yourself into but yeah um yeah. look don't necessarily go there right now where do you want to go from there because i think um, what what, are, what might be useful is if we use that framework of connection and individualized value and we just sort of talk through now you know obviously i teach whole seminars i've got online programs that go into this so we're not going to be teaching you everything that you need to know but i think it'll give people a framework of uh, reference in terms of how it can work and I'd like everybody to go away with some stuff that they can start playing with straight away because yep. um, it, it doesn't have to be super complicated it's just it's there's eight or nine skills that if you've got them it completely transforms your ability to communicate chiropractic and it helps to understand the nuance of them so that you get better at them. So I'm going to be talking some of the theory behind them rather than try saying this because I think understanding it makes you a more powerful practitioner of it. Yeah. Um, cool. So I will actually introduce the thing that we've been talking around a little bit, which is levels of health awareness and also um, bridging as a strategy because that will allow us to sort of play our game across the things that we've set up already. Um, so when I'm talking about levels of health awareness, Essentially, we within chiropractic have certain ideas that are part of our paradigm. And if you've been, the longer that you've been immersed in this, the less you think about these ideas and the more you think from these ideas. These become your internal truth. And then we have that uh, misguided assumption that everybody else will see things the same way. So it's really important for us to, to sort of unpack that. So the people that we are working with, the people that we're communicating within our practice, in our community, et cetera, I would say broadly there's a continuum of people's level of health awareness, of understanding of the full depth and impact of their health. And so a lot of the people, particularly people who are new to our practice, will come in and what I would think of as a symptomatic or pain level of health awareness. And these are people who they look at health as being pretty binary. It's either I feel good, therefore I'm healthy, or I feel bad, therefore I'm unhealthy. And they will tend to be people who go to see a healthcare practitioner because they feel bad and then will stop seeing them as soon as they 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 feel good again. And yeah. so they're going to be people who, in a chiropractic context, will come and see when they have back pain, neck pain, headaches. They expect things to change very, very quickly. They don't have a long-term time horizon. They're often not that interested in your testing because from their vision, you know, you can all you need to know is it's sore here and just do something here and mm. fix that. And I, I don't need all this other stuff. It's just wasting my time and complicating things. Yeah. Um, Outside of an initial presentation, 
people at that pain level of health awareness, they will be the people who it will start every visit with. So you did a good job with this one because this pain's better, but you didn't really get that spot here. It's still sore. And yeah. it's infuriating for chiropractors because we have a different level of health awareness. But if we empathise and we view things from their perspective, essentially they look at your job is to fix the sore spot. So how are you ever going to do your job if you don't know where the sore spot is? Yeah. So yeah. they're going to be people who going to be with us for a fairly short period of time unless we help them see things from a level higher than that what i would describe as a um, prevention level of health awareness and a prevention level of health awareness is simply the recognition that you can have something that is not working properly before you have symptoms so you can have an asymptomatic problem yeah. and that by extension dealing with that asymptomatic problem will minimise the chance of a problem coming back or will act in some sort of preventative way. Yeah. And so these people, when they come in, they'll see you for a bit longer because they that idea of kind of rehabilitating an underlying imbalance makes sense to them and they don't want to end up back where they started. Um, but they don't really get that big picture health perspective. And this is a little bit what you're talking about in terms of, well, that's kind of not what the big picture is about. And so they're going to sort of get to that point where they either just drift away because it's like, I don't get why I'm still coming once every two weeks or once a month after all this time. Like I, I don't see, you know, my teeth don't need prevention that often. And so to me, the big picture, if you're wanting the model of practice that I'm after, is to help people see the simple truth that is embedded in a performance level of health awareness and a yeah. performance level of health awareness is simply the recognition that how your body works influences everything that you do and that proactively helping your body works better helps you do all the things that are important to you, all the things that you have to do, all the things that you love to do, and all the things that you see as your role or identity to do better. And so chiropractic becomes a way of helping you squeeze the juice out of life to sort of go at a higher level, that sort of thing. So that's our three different levels of health awareness. Now, if we if somebody's coming into us as a pain level of health awareness and I'm in my chiropractic asshole period and they're saying, you know, I need you to crack my back and I go, that's not what chiropractic is about. It's not about back pain, neck pain, headaches. It's about the unlocking of your innate potential. Yeah, There's no chance of me communicating with that person in a way that even gives them the opportunity of seeing that because I've made it about my message rather than understanding what's important to them. You know what I love is we all have, I'm sure, these patients that actually are still in that pain level, right? Or maybe yeah. they've, they've moved it in. They're, they're kind of still in the pain level of um, of awareness, but they've kind of moved it over into the prevention. Um, they're like, okay, well, I want to prevent this pain from coming back. So I'm going to still come back. And I, I love that, that, you know, we've all done this where uh, we've attempted to try and take this person, as you said, into the kind of understanding that we have about chiropractic maybe three times. We've failed and then we've just gone, oh, it's all too hard. Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to see you once a month and you're going to tell me about your neck pain every time you come in and then I'm just going to yeah. adjust you and then you're going to go and I've given up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and But you're right. It's because you're actually trying, you know, uh, quite often you do the thing saying, oh, yeah, well, you know that neck 
there's a nerve from there that travels down to your breathing, to your, you know, to your lungs. And the function of your body is so much more important than this neck pain. And they're like, what are you talking about? I've got like this neck pain here, you know? Um, and because you've kind of gone a little bit too high, uh, too early. And then they're just, you know, sort of battered you a nice little straight drive down past the bowler. Um <laughs> <laughs> and yes um and then everyone gives up and you just kind of get into this routine that probably sometimes lasts for 20 years but um you know um let's let's go further with that because uh okay. you're about yeah. to you know well, you're so about I guess, to talk about that so yeah so i guess the understanding of what level of health awareness people are at to me gives a framework around how i'm going to individualize my value discussion to them so Um, Let's take you as an example. Uh, Let's say you are somebody who's come to see me with broadly your set of lifestyle values and you're at a pain level of health awareness, then most likely very early on, if we look at the ways that we want to, first of all, create a sense of connection with you and we want to create a way of communicating chiropractic in in its broadest perspective, um, that's individually to you. Does that sort of make sense? So yeah. So you could quite right. often compare the cost of a chiropractic care to a set of brand new race wheels, which cost about two and a half grand, right? And you're like, chiropractic's <laughs> cheap compared to those uh, performance-enhancing gains that you're not going to get from those new wheels. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's certainly there. Yeah, I agree. I think using comparison, those sort of things, is a really powerful topic. Another way of also just even starting off that relationship just in the earlier stages, let's say you are the person with the hot sacroiliac joint who's come in to see me, you're a keen cyclist. What I want to do initially to create a sense of connection with you is through an idea called unity. So um, Cialdini talks about this idea that we are basically tribal. We're people who, you know, we naturally think that people who are in the in-group that of the people who we we describe as we, we sense this natural connection. So you and I have a sense of we because we're chiropractors, but we also have a sense of we because we're Australians. We have a sense of we because we're coffee aficionados. We have a whole sense of different ways that you and I see that we are in the same group. The cool thing is that there's lots of ways that we can be in the same group as that person. It could be that you were referred by somebody who's another cyclist and I could go oh you're one of Davo's mates oh Davo's a great guy how do you know him oh you're part of the same cycling group so do you do that uh crit rating racing or are you just uh what sort of riding do you do but I can get into a sense of unity either because of this shared relationship or because of a shared appreciation for something that's important to you whether it's cycling or work or whatever so Early on, I'm going to take that moment to see you as a rich person rather than a hot low back, if that makes sense. So really early on, and the mantra that I have within the communication I I, uh, teach people is people before procedure. So before you start going down this procedure of what's it, you know, what's the pain, where is it, blah, 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 take a moment to find a way of making you and this person part of a we, we are part of a group, whether it's people who appreciate the suburb that you live in or or whatever else, but look for that opportunity. Then the next piece of that puzzle then in terms of me making chiropractic relevant to you is I need to not talk so much about or not even seek to understand as much about the pain, but more what is the pain impacting that's important to you. So the most likely thing is, 
So you didn't really come to see me most likely for your hot sacroiliac joint. You came to see me because your sore low back is stopping you from spending as long in the on the bike as you want to, or it's stopping you from being able to generate power going up hills, or it's stopping you from competing at a certain level, or having that you've got a stressful life and that Sunday long ride with your mates and a coffee afterwards is the thing that keeps you sane in this super stressful life and you can't do it. I don't know what it is, Mm. but each one of those things, the more specific I understand that, the more relevant chiropractic is when I present to you. So, Craig, what I'm going to recommend in terms of getting you back to doing that Sunday ride and having the coffee with your mates is blah, 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 blah. That's way more valuable than what we need to do to restore the range of motion and relieve the subluxation and whatever else. Does does that make sense? So connection. Yeah. And and so specifically, do you introduce that in the, obviously the question, the consultation at the very start, right? You, you obviously, you know, you, you listen to, well, you, you make that connection with trying to work out who their tribe is. um, And if there are some connections, then great. Uh, yep. And you evolve that a little bit further, and then you, I guess you, you would naturally then listen to why they feel like there was their reason for coming in. Yeah, so the easiest and, and, the and most then powerful. and then that would evolve into you then digging deeper into well, okay, th- yes, you obviously have a problem here, but what does that stop you doing? So, do you, what specific questions do you ask at that point? All right. So there's a whole lot to this. I'm going to give a couple of beats that are perhaps the most important ones. First of all. The research tells us that the number one people, the number one need that people have on a first visit is to be heard. But we're trained in taking a history that continually interrupts them. So first thing is connection. So who referred you? How, what you know? How did? I'm finding a way to create that human to human connection with you. Either the referrer, something to do with their job and me asking a couple of questions to get an understanding of, wow, you're a structural engineer. That's pretty cool. I always find that sort of stuff really amazing, the profound impact that it has on our lives. Tell me about the sort of work you do. Just something that acknowledges that they have these things that are important and unique about them. Then the first thing that we should do to make sure that people feel heard is, so Craig, I can see from the form you've got some issues with your lower back. Tell me what's going on. And then you tell me, blah, 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 I've got low back pain, blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying nothing, but you've been trained culturally in the normal thing of this, which is I'm going to interrupt you. So you just say the first couple of things and I'm saying, and then I'll say, I don't know anything else. And then you'll go, oh, wow, I haven't had this before. And so you tell me a little bit more and I'm going, no, no, really just tell me everything about your lower back. But if I ask you anything else, anything else, anything else, so if there's three anything else's, the one thing I'm certain of is you will feel like you were heard on that visit and then I can go into my interrupting techniques. Now, there's a whole sequence of what I would describe as unpacking questions that you can use to better ease out what it is that will give this better understand the nature of the problem and why it's important to them. But the most powerful question is what I would call the limitations question, which would go something along the lines of, so Craig, my experience is that you know, people like you come in with back pain. Back pain is part of the reason that you're here. But for most people, the main thing that's prompted them to do something now is that the pain's starting to either stop them or make it more difficult to do things, either things that you have to do or you love or like to do. What are those things with you? Mm. And then 
Essentially, it's just being curious, understanding that more, and then that is the goal of care. That is the goal is to get you back to being able to do whatever that limitation was. Now, beyond that, though, that then tells me that gives me the key to start unlocking what individualised value is for you. Because if we go back into those different levels of health awareness, once I understand let's say I'm getting a pretty strong sense that you're coming in with a pain level of health awareness. Ethically, I need to let you know what your options are, don't I? I can't just presume, well, that's what you said you came in for. I'm aware that there's these other potentials. I need to have a really elegant way of honouring that you came in and told me that you came here for back pain, but also leading you to where what you could have. And the more specifically and individually I describe that, the more likely that is to connect for you. Does that make sense? So in a second visit and in subsequent visits, I'm going to use this strategy called bridging. And the way that would look for you would be, I'm going to use the example of how I might use it in a report of findings, say. So I would say, all right, so Craig, last time you were here, you told me X, Y, Z. You know, this is what we found on the clinical testing was ABC. Um, There's three different levels of improvement or three different ways that people use chiropractic care. First level, um, the first stage of your care, first way that people use chiropractic care is for pain. In your case, what we need to do is to get improvement in the way your spine's functioning so that we get better uh, nerve function into those muscles, get the back pain under control so that you're back to being able to get in your Sunday ride with your mates. Now, what a lot of people choose to do once we've done that is it was pretty clear that there was an underlying imbalance. You know how the pain sort of came on, you didn't really cause any particular trauma to it, but there was it just sort of gradually built up. It's important that we deal with that underlying imbalance so we minimise the chance of that coming back, and that's what we'd call preventative care. And most people choose to do that, and along the way, people like you who are cyclists, they're back on the, the bike, they'll often notice that, subtle things start to improve. Some people, it's that their position on the bike's better. Some people who use the power meters in their pedals notice that all of a sudden they've got equal power or even more power. A lot of people notice that they're less likely to get injured, basically because as your body works better, everything works better, including stuff like cycling. So a lot of people then choose to do what we talk of as um, performance care, which is they come in periodically for a tune-up to keep this complex little machine called your body working at its best so that you can be your best on the bike. All of that's a long way ahead of us, but that's broadly how different people use us. What I'm going to do now is give you the recommendations for the first part of that. Is that fair enough? And then as I go through that, I'll sketch it out, but I then that typically takes me anywhere from 80 seconds to about 100 seconds to sketch out for somebody so it's a very quick thing Mm. but it allows people the danger that you know when I gave the example of chiropractic's not about back pain or neck pain it's about you unfolding your human potential it allows everybody to go you know I can see that and I can see that and I can see that but it also it's okay if people choose not to do any part of it because I'm not saying it's the only way that you can look after you. I'm just saying this is the different ways that people do use. Yeah. People can do this, this or this, and it's totally up to you to choose. And whatever you choose is the right uh, thing for you, you know. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. yeah, and so beautifully put. I'm sure, yes, you obviously say that a few times in the week um, and have thought long and hard <laughs> about how best to do that. And 
Look, I'm sure also there is uh, various, you know, over the years I've tried various ways, different ways of communicating that as well. And I'm sure all of my team communicated in a very different way as well. And probably a lot of people have given up communicating it as well, you know, at that sort of early on phase, you know. It's it's that that idea of, well, I'm just going to assume you're here for pain. And then if you are still here after a set number of visits, then maybe I'll introduce that idea of there's something else, you know. Um, And then, uh, but then potentially by that point, you've lost half the people anyway. And I think this, to be honest, that is the biggest problem we have as a company is that the the idea of giving people a choice to stay around beyond the pain isn't even probably delivered to most people, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah. They, they don't even know they had an ability to choose to stay around a bit longer no. because, um, you know, the whole focus was around the pain and when the pain disappears, you celebrate that it's disappeared and then there's no real reason why you would want to stay on, you know. So, no. Yeah. yeah, and so I guess I would say that you want to introduce that idea as early as possible. So yeah. first or second visit, I want to use bridging just and but very much in a in, however you choose to use chiropractic is entirely up to you yeah. and then stick with that like ask people how's it working for you is do you want to keep coming in like i think if yeah. you the, the, an experiment that i've had a few people do and the the feedback from it has been amazing is the people who've never used this people who have never uh really given people the option but they've got people in their practice so most of the time when i talk about different levels of health awareness most people are going back through their the people that they've seen in their practice now that guy is definitely pain level i know it for sure he's offering every behavior but then they'll go oh i don't really know i think there's some prevention people there i'm not really sure before no there are there's those people because the way this is going a bit deeper down an alleyway that i probably won't be able to do everything because it's a whole big topic but there's ways you can tell which level of health awareness people are at but one of the ways that you can tell performance level people is they use chiropractic the way chiropractors use chiropractic which is they'll yeah. choose to come in every two weeks or four weeks or whatever's the recommended or once a week or whatever but the real way you know is that they choose to come in extra when something big is happening so mm-hmm. if you know let's say i'm in london i'm about to present to your group I would be getting checked right before that because I'm like, I want this to go really well. I want to make sure that I'm at my peak. Um, And so those people where, you know, we will have a the Melbourne Marathon or the uh, Round the Bay in a Day or any of these big athletic sort of events or the CrossFit competitions, we'll have a whole bunch of people who come in and extra time because that's important to them to be tuned up before that. And so one of the experiment that I will have chiropractors do if they've not used these sort of approaches is just and one of the key things with any of these question oriented communication approaches is tone the most important tone that you want to have any question if it feels like oh that feels like that would be awkward to ask the problem is your tone and the tone that will solve it is a tone of curiosity you're not wanting to have an inquisitorial you must answer this question it's just got to be, I'm curious. And even saying I'm curious will naturally make you have a tone. So I would say something like, so Craig, I'm curious. I've, I've learned a new way of sort of describing the way that people use chiropractic. Would you be okay if I just spent a minute or so explaining what the different ways that people use chiropractic are? And I'm curious which way you feel like you're using chiropractic. Would that be mm-hmm. okay? 
And this and is perfectly that, delivered to those people that have actually maybe been coming to see you for a year, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly who you should target it as. People who have been with you anywhere after three months who are still coming in, I would just do the experiment of asking a handful of people that you feel like you've got a connection with. Don't ask people who, you know, you feel awkward with anyway, but people that you feel like you've got a relationship with, just get curious and ask them. And the question would be just using, so some people use chiropractic because they've got pain. They come in when they've got pain and chiropractic is a great way of helping people with all sorts of different pain. That's one way. It's another way that people come in more for prevention. So, yeah, they might have pain, but really what they're wanting to do is deal with the underlying imbalance to minimise the chance of pain coming on again or getting worse or anything. So they're seeing things in more a preventative way, the way you might go to a dentist or something. Um, and then some people will use chiropractic in a performance way, which is they're using it to kind of fine-tune the way they their body works so that they can do other things at its best, whether that's, you know, some people that might be uh, cycling or gym or yoga or just having the energy to look after little kids or, or whatever. Um, so just so curious, how would you say you use chiropractic? And just be open to the feedback. But it, it does a couple of things. One, it gives you an opportunity to use the communication with a an audience that you have a degree of connection. They already like you and you can introduce a framework that they may not be aware of. So, you know, it has double benefit there. Yeah. And I think, you know, that the thing that was coming up to me, what I was thinking about as you were talking about that is that that idea of, you know, it's it's a big shift to move from someone who comes regularly for prevention to someone, you know, and would quite often do that thing saying, well, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't broken type of thing, you know, Um, uh, to the person saying, I'm not broken and I am celebrating the fact that I'm here because I know I've got this big thing coming up, you know. Um, So, yeah, the energy. I I guess that's that point of you. You want to ask them, you know, where where do you feel like you fit? And then quite often people would kind of feel like I I just want to sort of try and make sure I don't get any more back pain, you know, Um, because that really disabled me sort of a year ago. Um, uh, And then it's like, well, but then I guess that's the thing of then how do you build the bridge to sort of, You've you've done that by saying, well, there is another way you can do it. Just to be curious yeah. about this, that just to let you know that is a there's an alternative to your current framework. Um, and for you in particular, I see that of, of being a benefit because of you know your tennis. You know, you you're you're literally wanting yeah. to get those couple of extra um, clicks out of your serve. Then I'm pretty sure the you know the the, the faster your serve will will become. As a result of you, uh, you know, having a neck and shoulder that functions better, you know, um, that type yeah. of stuff. So, so yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so another thing, a little nuance on that, that's a, an approach that I teach called lifestyle linking, which is essentially saying, you know, let's link chiropractic rather than, uh, so if I go the long way around again, but if we look at people who have a passion and you mentioned cycling earlier, you know, two and a half thousand for new wheels. If we look at golfers, how much golf, you know, the average Australian golfer spends um, $2,700 per year on things other than uh, green fees on getting better at golf. And (laughs) that's more than a year of care in most people's practice. Um, But the, the key thing is, though, that when we look at the time, money, energy, emotional resources that people need to spend to have chiropractic care on an ongoing basis, they have it. They're just, if they're looking at it as a cost, 
you try and minimise it. Once it's connected to making you better at the things that you love to do or the things that you see as your role or identity to do, whether that's cycling or golf or being a better mother or being a breadwinner or whatever else, it stops being a cost and it starts being an investment. And people are, well, obviously, they're not willing to spend anything on it, but the amount of money that we're typically talking about for chiropractic care on any sort of semi-regular basis doesn't qualify as a lot of money in that regard. So mm. um, now, in that that lifestyle linking piece then, one of the things that I think ties in with a topic that you're talking, an idea that you are presenting earlier was almost this idea that I won't tell anybody about this, but I hope that they pick it up along the way. The challenge is that if the majority of people have a pain level of health awareness, then they look at the main drivers of health as being germs and genes and luck. So I've got this health condition because my mum had it, it's, I've got crappy genes, or, you know, I breathed in some bad air and the germs gave it to me, or, you know, he was so unlucky that he got X, um, whereas we're coming at it from a paradigm of empowerment that you know you have a lot of control over what your health outcomes are mm. um so if people come in for back pain yes the, the the person who comes in for back pain probably also gets better power through their legs on their bike or a better tennis serve but they don't attribute it to chiropractic because they view it as well that was luck you know just things go up things go down i've got better at this wow that's fortunate um, so we want to pre-frame it. So the most powerful thing that will change people's beliefs are the things that they experience. So really early on, if you're that cyclist, I'm going to lifestyle link way before you're likely to notice it so that you have the experience. Because if you have the experience of, wow, that's what happened to me, then you are much more likely to see chiropractic in that performance uh, perspective. So yes, I'm going to use bridging so that you have that as a model, but really early on, pretty much as soon as I start to see your sacroiliac joint working any better, I'm going to say something to you like, Craig, people like you. So the basic framework is people like you who X, whatever their lifestyle value is, often notice why when they have chiropractic care, have you noticed anything like that yet? Now, ideally, I want to introduce this to you before you've noticed it so that when you do notice that I've pre-framed it and you go, oh, wow, I have noticed that. that That's that chiropractic care rather than it was luck. But I, it would be for you as the, the cyclist, people like you who uh, have chiropractic care often notice as their spine starts to change, they get more power through their legs or they're more comfortable in the saddle or their, speed, their top speed goes up or whatever you feel like might be most relevant to that person and their style of cycling. If it's the tennis player... People like you who uh, play tennis often notice that their serve, like because it's a lot more demanding on neck and shoulder function, they notice that their serve's a bit quicker or it's a bit more reliable or just strokes are smoother. Have you noticed anything like that yet? People like you who are busy mums with a couple of small kids often notice when their spine starts to balance better, they've got more energy at that difficult part of the night, you know, around six o'clock. Have you noticed anything like that yet? <laughs> I just want to, and the thing that I like about this from my personal perspective is rather than seeing that kind of repetition of the same things, I'm working with, it's a game, like it's a fun thing of yeah. talking to people about things that are important to them with what's important to me. And so we're, we're sort of marrying the two things. 
And that was why that, that question is so important is like, you know, how is this limiting you? If you can work out what that limitation is, then you, you know, a couple of visits later or whenever you see them again, you then sort of ask that question based around whatever they feel like they're being limited by and say, yep. you know, others have benefited from, you know, your cycling power, position, aerodynamics, whatever. Um, uh, have you noticed anything yourself? with regards yeah. to this and then you know they might be like no not yet you know um, yeah. or yeah. yeah and ideally that's what sorry i should have done the segue that was a really good point to bring that up is if they do say people are often petrified to ask this early because it's like what if they say no i love it if they say no i'm saying no that they go no i haven't noticed that I, and i'm saying well not yet can i get you to track on that and i really as soon as you do notice it i want to hear about it and so I'll regularly have people coming in, say from I had somebody coming in today who's a guy I uh, take care of who's just a fairly keen CrossFitter who's like, yeah, you told me that, you know, often I could be able to get a deeper, stronger squat. And I set a PB today that I've been stuck on for like three or four months and I got it. I felt like I still had more in the tank and he's super excited. Like it's mm. huge value to him and it, it would have happened anyway. He just wouldn't have attributed it to chiropractic. Yeah, I love that way that he sort of celebrated with you, not about the fact that his pain's feeling a bit better. Yeah. He was like, yeah. you told me that I might be able to get a little bit better in my my squatting because of the mechanics of my pelvis or whatever it might be, you know. Um, yeah. And and therefore he's like, you know, blaming you or attributing you for the success, which is great. So. Yeah, that's very cool. Hey, look, we could probably go on like this forever, couldn't we, you know, um, and this is why we're looking forward to actually getting you back over here. Um uh, I think I did want to uh, – I've got a couple of sort of specific questions, I guess, that the teams are uh, uh, asked of you. I guess we're kind of getting up to a, an hour of chat anyway. Um, yep. You've definitely delivered the gold like I knew you would, Martin. Oh, thanks, um, mate. I hope so. Uh, no, and and I think, as you say, done in a way that isn't prescriptive, not in a way that um, people – well, I've been taking notes. You know, I don't think oh, I remember I taking – I don't think I've ever taken a note in a podcast before. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, in that way that is not like, okay, just do this and that will solve all your problems. No, it's like, well, if you have an awareness that uh, if you're not connecting or providing value to uh, a person, then well, what are they going to stick around for, you know, that type of stuff. So it, it gives you a lot more to sort of think about when that person's right there in front of you. But you have also given us um, some nice tools to be able to link or bridge between the pain, the uh, uh, prevention and performance. By the way, I love the three Ps. Um, it makes yep. it so easy. There's obviously so many variations um, to describe yep. those phases of care or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Um so one question we had from the team was, and maybe we could do this as a bit of a quick fire, just sort of whatever comes to your yep. sort of head first up, was, and we've we've talked a lot about this today anyway, but um, how, you know, it's, it's so easy to kind of revert back to on each visit, almost like doing a mini new patient consult every time someone comes in the door, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, uh, how are you feeling today? Oh, my back hurts. Oh, let me have a look at it. Um, right, yeah. I need to do this. Um, when do you want to see me again? Uh, I'll see you next week, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah. how do you stop yourself from getting back into that little sort of like okay. bad habit? 
Okay, couple. There's a. I have a whole program on daily interactions, but the broad structure. If you're looking for the things that I think set you need to set up for a really successful daily visit that doesn't fall into that. First of all, um, connect first. So eye contact, use people's name, touch, all those things. Make sure that the first thing you've created a connection because it's natural for us to go from person to person to person to person and be busy and sort of almost a bit distracted when you come in. Make sure you have that moment of connection first. The most critical thing to get out of that is to what is the rule that I have for every visit, which is function before feeling, which is... I want to do some sort of test of how things are going for them before I get any feedback. Because if we look at that level of health awareness, if every interaction starts with how are you feeling, how's the pain, uh, there's a bias that we have that the thing comes first. It's called a primacy bias. The primacy bias says the most important thing happens first. So if every time somebody comes in, says, how's your pain, it sits in that pain level of, health awareness that we're reinforcing it every time so from the very beginning i'll say so craig how you feel is important how things function is actually more important because it tells me where you're headed rather than where you are right now so every time i come to see you i'm going to do x test to track how you're going i'll let you know how you're going and then i'll get some feedback in terms of if anything's changed for you and when i ask if anything's changed really what i'm looking for is has that pain changed? Is it better? Is it worse? Or often because we're working with your nervous system that runs everything, it could be something like my concentration's better, I've slept better, I'm getting more power on the bike. It could be any of those things. So I'm going to ask you for some feedback and it could be any of those things, Could, but I just want to know if anything's been significantly different. Does that make sense? So the first thing I do is whatever that test is, whether that's palpating your spine, whether that's me looking at an aspect of range of motion, whether it's me doing a muscle test, that's less important. It needs to be something that is clinically useful for you. And I will say to you, so, Craig, that, that's on track. Looks like things are starting to improve better or I'm palpating your spine and going, look, this area is really out of balance today. This area is doing a bit better. Anything new or different that I should be aware of? And so that's the framework that I would have around feedback for you. I don't agree with the don't talk to me about your symptoms. They're irrelevant. That's, I think, not what people are looking for. The balance to me is I want to reframe what the, the rules of giving feedback are um, and I want to, every time you come in, use that primacy bias to say the most important thing is how things are functioning because that's what aligns, aligns with the prevention and performance level of health awareness. But it's also true. Like yeah. if you say my pain is worse, I have no idea whether that's good or bad until I see whether your spine's functioning better or not. If you say... You know, I've uh, been whatever. It, the context of how your spine is functioning determines how I interpret that. Yeah. No. Perfect. Uh, really, I think a good visual there for everyone to have of how to make a a daily visit uh, a little bit smoother. Hey. Um, next question: um, How do you deal with uh, you know a few visits in once you've actually, as you said, you know you've you front loaded the care, you've uh, given them a lot of value at the very start, and then on their fifth visit, you've spent five minutes with them, and then like, yep. hang on, that's a bit too quick, and I'm paying way too much for that five minutes. Um, yep. You know what's going on here, or you kind of get that sense because it's not often that yeah. they kind of directly 
uh, accuse you of being too expensive and uh, they'll just not come yeah. back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you're, you're uh, more, I would say you're more commonly going to get people who are saying the, well, that was quick um, or, or whatever else. But either way, what I would suggest here is, first of all, don't disagree with them. You know, I would say if somebody goes, well, that was quick, you go, yeah, it's, it, now that we've got the momentum going, we don't need as much of your time. Um, if I can use a metaphor for you to explain kind of what's going on, would that be okay? And I, the reason I'm doing this is I don't want to dismiss them and come across as slick and whatever else. I think it's reasonable for them to to have that concern. So I want to be respectful in it, but I would say something like, so I've been doing this for however long this person's been doing this for, or, you know, I trained to do this for five years and now I've been doing it for two years. And so over that time, I've done this a lot of times and I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of people and I've, we've developed ways of doing that efficiently. If I could use a metaphor for you, you know the first time you ever had a flat tire in your car and you had to work out how to put the jack on and you had to work out how to do the uh, wheel nuts and then you know get the tire off and I'm not quite high enough and then I had to jack it up a bit further and then I realized hang on a minute I I should have got the the tire, the spare tire out, and now the car's on a phone. You know how that was all clunky and slow? And, you know, if you watch the Formula One, <laughs> who would you say did a better job of changing the tire? Who would you be more confident that the nuts were on properly? Mm. I'm, I'm the Formula One of chiropractic. And, you know, <laughs> and you can say it in a funny way, and you can dial that up or dial that down depending on the relationship that you have with the person. But the bottom line is once you've done things a lot of times, you can be relatively quick with it and still be incredibly effective. So good. Love that metaphor. Formula One chiropractors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I knew you'd have a good answer for that. That's, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know um, that I was the first one to come up with. I'm, in fact, I'm certain I borrowed it from somebody else, but, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> well, well yeah, and, and we always say over here in London, anyway, it's, it's, it's a blessing being in a sort of pretty busy city because uh, that's where you sort of, you know, don't fob that off, literally say, yes, isn't it great that it only takes five minutes to look after yeah. you and, and make some really lasting changes, you know. I'm sure if I kept you here for an hour, you wouldn't be able to come even once a week, let alone yeah. more, you know. Um, so, uh, and then lastly, um, there's a question about how do you use your and you did touch on this with your tribal um, with with the whole idea of of building your tribe or, or finding the connection within the tribe there. But but yeah. you know your best patients. How do you use them or or, or how to, to sort of market your practice or market yourself or sort of grow yep. your practice using those real success stories? Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess there would be a couple of things. So. First of all, um, if you have people who you feel super connected to, um, there's an awkwardness around saying, who can you refer to me? Like, it's just, you know, it feels a bit needy, a bit desperate. (laughs) Do you know anyone who has this problem? You know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you have a wife? Shouldn't she be under care? Yeah, yeah. So what I, there's a really interesting dynamic that they talk about, um, which is if you ask people for advice, they're much more likely to see it as a problem they want to help you to um, provide. So you could, if you were taking care of somebody who you really feel a sense of connection with it, you could ask their advice. So you could say, hey, Craig, I love taking care of you. You're going to, I was working through the people in the practice, and this needs to be genuine. It, it doesn't work if you overuse it, but it could be, 
I'm really looking at where I want to grow in my practice over the next sort of four or five years. And people, if I could have my day full of people seeing people like you, that would be my ideal practice. So if I was looking to see more people, like generate more people like you to come in to see me, what would your advice be? And essentially, it does, I don't really care. I mean, I do care what the response is, but what you're really looking for is, well, you know, I guess there's a lot of people like me who go to my gym. Um, would you consider, you know, coming down and doing one of your health talks at the gym or or whatever? Um, but it also just flags it as you are looking for people like them and it makes that idea of, well, I'm now, because you asked for my advice, sort of almost on the team of looking out for it. There's another procedural thing that we do, which is at a progress assessment, we ask that net promoter score question, which is we will have people say, you know, uh, essentially zero to 10 rating, how likely would you be to recommend us to a, a friend or colleague? I've forgotten the exact wording, um, but it's a standardised way of getting feedback from people. Um, and the bottom line with that uh, research is people who give you a seven or lower, they're okay with you, but they're not really loving, they're not in love with what you do. People who give you an eight, nine or 10 are people who are super happy and engaged and thrilled with what you do. So we don't ask them for a referral, but we essentially that question is saying, would you recommend us to somebody else? So we have a very soft way at the end of that where we're reviewing their response from the, the uh, reassessment and we would say stuff like, so, Craig, you know, this is what happened with your posture, this is where you're at with this, and we noticed that you noticed more power on the bike, you noticed this, blah, 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 that's awesome. Um, and, you know, in terms of the wellness score, this is what happened. And with that, um, would you recommend us to a friend or colleague? You, yeah, I was really flattered. Thank you so much. That nine out of 10 is really gratifying to see. Thank you. Um, I'm just sort of curious, was there anybody that came to mind when you answered that? Now, my experience is probably six or seven out of 10 times people go, no, nobody particularly. And that's okay. But again, it's just that little bit of awareness that those people are a little more likely to see. Um, there's a thing in uh, behavioural psychology called consistency, which is we're highly likely to feel motivated to act in ways that accord with things that we've verbally described ourselves as doing. So they're much more likely to, when they hear of somebody, oh, actually, you know, I said I would recommend, I'm now going to. But mm. two to three out of ten of those people would go, yeah, you know, as soon as I saw that, I was thinking, you know, that my friend that I go to yoga with really needs to see you, and then you can start that conversation. So yeah, there's nice. a couple of strategies. Hey, that's great. And uh, there, let's just leave it there with the questions. But, um, hey, and again, I think we should wrap up the pod because uh, we have covered so much gold here already and people need to sort of stop listening to this and um, look at what they've been scribbling down on their notepaper and um, bring it into action first thing into their practice the day after they listen to it. But um, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, give us, no, kind of, before you sign off, though, give us a little bit more insight, as most of our listeners are in the UK. What have you got planned for the next month or so with regards to an Aussie summer type of uh, adventure? Oh, 
Well, look, uh, hoping that the, well, at the moment we've got uh, chiropractors off. So at the moment I'm just basically practising the whole time, every every shift for the next <laughs> week at least, but then that's what someone's <laughs> like here. But, no, uh, so you, uh, then, then, it's not it's not unique, this idea of like, um, yeah, like uh, obviously they all want to go on holiday when the weather's really good. I mean, who would have thought? The outrage, but no, it'll be uh, a lot of time at the beach, a lot of uh, time getting in the surf. There's, it's a lot big barbecue season here for us. Lots of eating outdoors. What's it's, your uh, preferred surf beach to go and visit? I'm in Victoria, so I surf mainly around um, Bells and Winky are sort of my two favourite spots to go. Particularly Winky, which is not as well known as Bells, but a sort of more high performance wave. I love it. Um, I didn't know you were a big surfer because, uh, you know, to be surfing those waves, that they're, they're serious breaks. So it's like, uh, and, you, and you're also normally fighting for the wave with some of the top surfers in Victoria. So um, it's it's about timing. So if it's really big, when you, if you Google uh, Bell's Beach Surf, that won't be the days that I'm out. The uh, So <laughs> I'm, I'm a... Uh, if it's too big, that's not for me. But there are also a bunch of other places around there that you can go on those big, big days that are that are spectacular. So yeah, we're very blessed for the surf in Victoria. It's um yeah, very fortunate. So yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. No, well, in fact, uh, I am planning a trip to Bali around Easter time to meet up with my brother who lives in Australia. We're meeting halfway. Well, it's not really halfway, it's closer to him. But I am looking forward to staying a few nights at Uluwatu and looking at this massive nice. foot panda that sort yeah. of it's, I don't think it's as a Londoner life. I would probably go out there because I might just get destroyed. But um, it anyway, is a, it um, is a scare. It is a it's a fun wave. I've only surfed it a couple of times, but it's a um, yeah, it's no joke. It's very shallow reef and pops a lot of swell, so very easy to snap a ball or something else in uh, in at Ulu. So yeah, great spot. Look at that. We're a part of the surfing tribe now too, man. Absolutely. Another another connection. Well, I'm a frustrated surfer. Um, the closest wave I've got is the, well, there is one on the south coast down here where there is a one sandy yeah. beach, but um, they did build one of those wave pools here over in mm. Bristol, which is about a sort of a two-hour drive away. So i got to get down there and do that. But like, I'm pretty sure the water temperature in that wave pool now is probably about five degrees. So um, I don't yeah, think I'll be sure. going anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, it sounds like Bali and Easter. Yeah, I'll I'll get in the pool, get the swimming paddling arms up and ready, and then then go from there. So, hey, Martin Harvey, though, thank you for joining us on the Cairo London Pod. Um, we'll catch you in May when you're over this way. I'm oh, looking forward to it. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Okay, that was awesome. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. Don't forget to head over to our Cairo London Pod at Cairo London Pod Insta account where we do most of the communicating about the new episodes that are up. Leave a little message or reach out if you have any comments about our discussion. Uh, as I suspected, Martin obviously came up with some gold there and stuff that, yeah, as I said, I was taking notes. You know, I hope you were all taking notes because um, there was plenty even in that sort of hour-long episode to uh, use immediately. So hope you enjoyed that one. Can't wait to get him out here in May. It's going to be great for the Cairo London team. Um, looking forward to seeing you then, Martin. Thanks again for coming on. 